0: I guess it's uh, yeah, it's an, an, a remarkable story, isn't it? Well, one of the things that I found interesting over these past uh, couple of weeks, chatting to various people who are in different situations. In fact, a conversation just this afternoon, somebody who's teaching, uh, amazed actually at how little knowledge, for many people, there is of the Christmas story. Uh, there are many people who do not know the Christmas story. Uh, and, and so as we, particularly as we prepare for next week, the idea that we are going out with um, a story which is well known, a story which people are bored with, a story which is so well known that it's, if you like, it's passé, it's done with, that is not the case For many people today. It might be that this is a new story for you. It might be that you have not heard the Christmas story before. I suspect that most of us here this afternoon probably have. But I assure you there are many people. who They might know the basic idea. That the Christmas story is all about the birth of Jesus. But the surrounding story what goes on around it, it is unknown, completely unknown. Uh, there are two ways to view that. On the one hand, we could view it in terms of disappointment, discontent, sadness, if you like, that here we are and all of our heritage, all of our Christian uh, country's heritage has been lost there are so many who don't know we could view it in that way we could be discouraged we could be downcast we could view it with a degree of disappointment I do not view it in that way I honestly do not view it in that way because if we look at the reality the fact that it was well known in the past did not encourage any more people to come to faith in the Jesus who is declared. It didn't. It just became, if you like, so well known that it could be ignored. We actually live in a day, I think, of great opportunity for the gospel and for the message of Jesus and the message Christmas time because it is coming for many people with a kind of freshness. With, with, without any baggage, with, without the, if you like, the, the history and without all of the thoughts of the past. This can come with a freshness for many people. And so I thought it would be worthwhile just for a few minutes for us to remind ourselves of how remarkable this story is. Let's have a look at what we see. Firstly, we see in this remarkable story, in this account, according to Luke, we see portrayed before us that the message of the first Christmas engages the very highest level of society and, if you like, the very lowest level of society. Here we have Caesar Augustus literally... The most important man in the whole of the world at that point in time. Literally the most important man. Where the Bible is saying that in some sense, actually in a very clear sense, the most important, the most powerful man in the whole of the world is knit into the story of the first Christmas. What do we see? We see Caesar Augustus issuing a decree that a census should be made, uh, and that Joseph, as a result of that, leaves the town of Nazareth in Galilee uh, to travel to Bethlehem in Judea. He would not have done that if it had not been for the most important man in the world making a decision to raise a census. It seemed an entirely political decision and yet from the vantage point of heaven the most important man is knit into the story of the first Christmas. At the same time we see in verse 8 that the most humble the most forgettable The most ordinary people of society are also knit into that same story. Shepherds. Shepherds who were going about their ordinary business suddenly find themselves at the very center of God's purpose in this world. Isn't that remarkable? Two groups of people. The political powers of Rome... And the forgotten backwater shepherds of Judea are knit into the purpose of God at the very first Christmas. That is the way Luke is describing the events of that time. He's saying, do you realize what's happening? Do you realize that at that point in time, God is bringing together the most unlikely? And you know what? They don't even know that they're brought together in this story. Do you think the shepherds on that mountainside at that moment in time had any consciousness that they were connected to Caesar in Rome? Do you think there was any awareness that they were being knit into a story that would stand the test of time? But they are, and they have been. I think that can give us a great confidence as we head into a time of declaring this first Christmas once again. We cannot see, we do not know, we cannot be aware of the various steps of the various connections of the things that are going on in this world and in people's lives that are bringing them maybe for the first time in connection with the Christmas story. They might be going about life, but if God has a purpose in their life, it's going to be changed dramatically. Isn't it amazing that this is not just, and here's the next remarkable thing, this is not just the connection of the ordinary with the mighty in this world, there is a third connection if you like, a connection that ties those two together. Because we read in verse 9, the very next verse, the shepherds are the ordinary, but they suddenly find themselves connected to heaven. (laughs) It's as though, and the Bible gives us a number of occasions where this happens. It's as though the best way you can describe it, I think, it's as though temporarily there is a window that opens up, not literally, if you like, a figurative window that opens up, that allows an awareness and a visibility that this world is not all there is. Now that, that idea is littered right the way through the Bible. Right the way through into the, until the very last book of the Bible where John has a similar kind of window. He has a visibility. Again, what is happening there? What has happened for some of us here? There has been a visibility. There has been a connection. There has been a realization, maybe in our, th- in our thoughts, in, in our awareness, <laughs> that this is not everything. Everything. There is something more. And that's what goes on for those shepherds that night. There is a connection made. There is an awareness made. Uh, that, uh, that, that, that great phrase that I th- I'm fairly sure it was C.S. Lewis who coined. There is an awareness of the other. That's something outside of. That's something beyond what we can touch, taste, smell, see and hear. We rely on those five senses, don't we? And then suddenly, God breaks in and deals with us in another sense. The sense of our hearts, the sense of the spiritual, the sense of that window that makes us realise there is more than just now. That's what happens. That's what, in a sense, the first Christmas is about. It's about that moment where God, in his very being, in his very person, makes that that connection with this world. The God of heaven, taking upon himself human form and breaking into our existence. And it starts with a little window for a few shepherds. On a mountainside. But the last verse. That we read. For me is. Well for this afternoon at least. Is the key. There's a little phrase in there. Which captures. The story of Jesus. In fact in a lot of ways. It captures. The centrality. The very fact that Jesus. Is the, the very centre. Of the whole of the Bible. That Jesus is at the very center of the whole of the world. And the phrase is this. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. Which were just as they had been told. Because the story goes like this. They are out on a mountainside. And they are told about a birth that has gone on in the town. They haven't seen it. They haven't witnessed it. They haven't experienced it. They haven't been told by somebody who's run up from the town. They have had a declaration from heaven that something has gone on in the town. Now... What went on in the town in human terms is nothing. There's a mass of people converging on Bethlehem because that is their place of registration. There's just a mass of people. It's chaos in the town. I would be surprised, I would be surprised if Jesus was the only baby who was born in Bethlehem over that few days. I would be surprised I would be surprised if Jesus was the only one who was born in squalid conditions. I would be surprised if Jesus was the only one who was born to parents who were disconnected from their hometown. What went on in town when Jesus was born in human terms was unremarkable. For the events of those days. But it warranted a declaration from heaven. It warranted a window opening and saying, God has entered into the world. It was so big that those shepherds received a message, not from anybody else, but from heaven directly. And the message was that there's a child has been born. And that if you go into town, you will find him. Wrapped up in cloths, lying in a manger. And so, they left the hillside. They went down into town. And it was just as they had been told. Now, this only got me while I was thinking about this. If somebody had run up from the town... ...and said, by the way, there's a baby who's just been born. He's wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. They would not have left the mountainside. They would not have found it particularly surprising. They wouldn't have bothered. What was remarkable about the fact that it was just as they had been told... ...was the fact that it had been declared in this incredible way. They had heard voices from heaven they had seen visions from heaven they had had an angelic display had gone around on around them and it had made them leave the place where they were and what they found was it was exactly as the heavens had said that's what's remarkable that's what warrants the statement in verse 20 it was just as they had been told Because something remarkable has gone on. And that captures Jesus. It captures the very idea of Jesus. There is a declaration. And then we go and see. And we find it to be true. It's said. We go and look. And there it is. That is at the very heart of the uniqueness of Jesus. So why? Why is that unique? How many people? How many people have become famous? How many people have caused a stir in this world? Countless number, haven't they? You know, we could, we could reel through the names. People who have become famous. But you see, Jesus isn't somebody who has become famous. The Bible, Bible makes it really clear that Jesus was famous before he was born. That's what's unique. That's what makes... Jesus entirely different from anybody else in the history of the world who has risen to prominence, who has become famous. Jesus hasn't become famous. He always has been famous. You say, how can you say that? Why is it that Jesus is so unique? We haven't got time this afternoon to even get close to looking at all of the occasions where Jesus is spoken about before he even arrives. But that is at the very heart of Jesus. It's at the very heart of who he is. Those of you who know your Bibles, those of you who know some of the uh, events post-Jesus, you will know that uh, Philip was travelling out on on the road in the in the desert, and he finds a man who is reading from the Old Testament, and he explains to him that this is all about Jesus who has just recently lived and died, and he declares that he is risen again. You see the pattern that is going on? Do you see the storyline that is consistent in the Bible? he has talked about, he has spoken about, then we go and see and we find that it is true. It is just as we have been told. We haven't got time, but I'm going to give you, um, I think it's five very quick pictures, four very quick pictures. Here's some interesting thoughts. These are primarily, primarily about Jesus' birth. The Old Testament talks about Jesus preparing us for Jesus and describes him coming from three different places. And you think, well, therefore, it's all confused, isn't it? How does it work? We read in uh, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, we read this. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient days. I think that is a fantastic phrase, from ancient days. It's not like, do you know what's going to happen? Somebody's going to be born, and they're going to become a hero. No, no. Somebody is going to appear. Who always has been. And it's going to happen in Bethlehem. Joseph and Mary would never have been in Bethlehem if it hadn't been for the intervention of Caesar Augustus that pulled them down from where they were down to Bethlehem so that Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 would be fulfilled that Jesus came. From Bethlehem. But Jesus is also going to come from Egypt. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1 says this When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Jesus is going to come out of Egypt. So here we've got a young couple who are dragged down from the place where they live to find themselves in Bethlehem. How do they end up in Egypt? Well, actually because the hatred of King Herod resulted, as we saw in the little film, with the fact that they had to escape to Egypt one of the other important political figures. The local important political figure, if you like, is brought into the story as well. Those of you who know the story will know that Herod gets a message that a challenger to his authority, the king of Israel, has been born. Jealousy creeps in. Fear creeps in. He hates the idea. And he orders... The slaughter of infants. The slaughter of male infants. But there is a message that comes to Mary and Joseph and they depart and they leave and they go where? (laughs) They go to Egypt. For two reasons. One, because Jesus was always going to come from Egypt. And two, because God's word is going to be fulfilled, just as an aside, even that slaughter is spoken about in the Old Testament. Even that very slaughter is talked about. We read in Jeremiah 31 verse 15, this is what the Lord says. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. In the whole of that Jesus story that's talked about in Jeremiah, even that incident is described. That there is going to be a slaughter around the birth of Jesus. So that Jesus will come from Bethlehem and Jesus will come from Egypt. But you know what else? Jesus will come from Galilee as well. In the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea. Behold the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep deep darkness, a light has dawned. Isaiah chapter 9. Why? Why? Because it's as though, if you like, at the point where Jesus is born, there is a heavenly declaration that goes on and the shepherds go and find that it's exactly as they were told. But there has been heavenly declarations that have been going on right the way through the Old Testament and we find it is exactly as we have been told heavenly declarations over hundreds of years in fact they are declared with such complexity and such seeming contradiction that jesus is going to come from bethlehem egypt galilee that it takes remarkable intervention by god for those three things to happen do you see how god is working He's saying, I will make it so complex, I will make it so difficult that you will be left in no doubt that this is a heavenly declaration and you will find it is just as you have been told. Isn't that remarkable? So that we can, if you like, we can be like the shepherds. We can be those who can hear the voice of the heavenly declaration and we can find it to be true. Isn't that remarkable? That God would do that. But then that is what God is about. He is about stamping the authority of his son in this world and saying Jesus is not just somebody who happened to become famous. Jesus is of ancient days. He always has been. He was famous before and he is famous now and he is famous <laughs> Into the future. One more that. Always amazes me. If Jesus' birth. Was recognized and predicted. Then his death certainly is isn't it. Again and again and again and again. We find that his death. Is is, uh, predicted and talked about. And prepared for. Listen to this one, Psalm 22, Psalm, David. If you like, he's speaking at this moment with a voice of Jesus. Does that on many occasions in the Psalms, David does. Dogs surround me. What does that mean? Well, The ancient Hebrews, the people of Israel, considered that those outside of the nation of Israel were the equivalent to dogs. That means that pretty much most of us would be considered to be dogs. That's why when somebody from outside of the nation of Israel came to Jesus... And she said, yes, but Lord, even the dogs can eat the scraps from under the table. She's saying, I know that I am outside, but won't you be kind to me? And Jesus is. David says, even the dogs surround me. Because Jesus, when he was nailed to a cross, was surrounded by Roman soldiers. A pack of villains encircles me. Listen to this. They pierce my hands and feet. They pierce my hands and feet. If you are wanting to talk about the idea of somebody dying, the idea of somebody's hands and feet being pierced is just not the first thing that comes to mind, is it? Well, it might be for us because of crucifixion. Until we realize that crucifixion, which was not invented by the Romans, it was probably invented by the Persians, was not invented until 400 years after those words were written by David. When he talked about the death of Jesus and he said, my hands and my feet are pierced, He described a death that hadn't even been conceived. It was spoken about, it was talked about, it was sung by God's people for 400 years before the Persians had even thought about the idea of crucifixion. It was sung and, uh, and talked about by God's people for 700 and odd years before Jesus even died on a cross. Why? Because God is saying, I will make in remarkable ways heavenly declarations so that you and me can hear and come and see and find that it is just as we have been told. Now get this. If all of that has happened In the life of Jesus. If all of those events over literally hundreds of years. Using phrases which had really to be perfectly honest. Had no meaning. When David said they have pierced my hands and feet. It would have not had the sense of meaning that it did with crucifixion. He was speaking prophetically with words that even he would not have conceived the depth of. If God has done that and then he said, now enter onto the scene, my son, and let him be the focal point of everything that has been said so that you will see that it is just as you have been told, shouldn't we therefore be very sensitive to the idea that everything else that Jesus has said might just be just as we have been told? Shouldn't we? Shouldn't we think that if all of that has happened just as you've said, maybe everything else will happen just as you've said? Doesn't it, doesn't it just stand with a logic that if, if, if God is willing to, to handle the whole of world history the most important people in the world to place Jesus at the very center and make everything center around him isn't it possible that the future might just center around him as well isn't it possible that the words that he has said might not be just as we have been told so what are the key words that we need to hear And be prepared for. Jesus said I'm going to come again. I'm going to return. The one who is nailed on a tree. The one who is enthroned with a crown of thorns on his head. The one who breathes his last and dies. Is going to be seen as the king in all of his glory. That's what he said. Shouldn't we therefore be thinking. If all of this is just as we have been told. Maybe that is just. As we have been told. Maybe when Jesus says no one can stand before God. And at the same time says. Come to me. All you who. Labor. And are burdened. And I will give you rest. When God's word says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, doesn't that just fit in with the same sort of declarations that we will find it is just as we have been told? We could not live as believers if we didn't have that faith. Not, that, not a faith that, you know, faith that God's speaking to me because those feelings can ebb and flow. Those feelings can be there and they're precious while they're there. But there are times when Psalm 88 is, is our experience that God seems so far away. What happens then? What happens when the chips are down and it's tough? What happens then is that we are able to say the words of God have been declared and we believe it to be true because we have found in the past that it is just as we have been told and therefore I believe in the future that it will be just as I have been told. I need that. I cannot live based on my hopes of experiencing God I need something more. I love the experiences of God in my life. I love it. You love it. Those of you who know what it is to be in relationship with Jesus Christ on a personal level. By the power of the Holy Spirit. But there are times when that's gone. And I need more. And at that point what do I need? I need to know that the declarations of god are true i need to know if they've if they've come to fruition in the past then i can have a confidence that they will come to fruition in the future the christian faith is about a relationship with the living god we have relationships with each other don't we the relationships are precious that that are precious are the ones where somebody says i'll do something for you and they do it they deliver and over time they prove to be faithful they prove that everything they say they do (laughs) let me just warn you that even the best of friends even the closest relationships at some point are going to let us down they do They, they do even the closest and best of relationships will be a letdown ultimately because those relationships will finally end in some way even relationships which are faithful to the very last end because they come to an end but the relationship with jesus is i will deliver every one of my promises you can believe me because you can know that it is just as you have been told in a sense we need to be like those shepherds we need to go and see jesus They were moved and they became worshippers of God. (laughs) And that's where we need to be.